13th of September 2011. We really have teachings on the aura on tape, but it's good to refresh it. Refresh it for the beginners and maybe to add a few more insights that some of you may not know or have forgotten. And it's always wise to remind people what they have forgotten. And in reality, what all of you are endeavouring to do is to produce pure radiant auras. That is the keynote or the calling card of what you are. Anyone on the inner realms can see that aura immediately and read you like a book. Oh, there's some grey there. There's a swirling patch of reddish brown. Oh, lovely green, lovely gold. Look at that radiance around the head. Oh, look at that murky sort of um, orangey red. You understand how easy it is to read? This is what you have. People, or the inner beings, the members of hierarchy and the DB, etc., when they look at you, they're looking at you through the planes of perception, through the dimensions of perception. They're not looking at your form so much. That is what you see when you look at each other. But from the inner realms, what they see first and foremost is your minds, the aura of your minds, the rivers of energies going through it, the dullness here, the flashes there. And then they see the aura that relates to your astral or emotional body. How grungy is it? What's attacking it? What's coming out of it? What are you cleansing? What type of um, qualities is it? And then finally they may see your form, your face or the body that you think is your real self. So you see it's the opposite of what you see, of what you think is the real. They see all the grunge. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Your emotions, the swill that's coming out of you, your cleansings. You may be sick, and that also is seen. The state of your mind, how dull it is, or how dense it is, how vibrant it is at that moment. Your little animosities, your angers, your silly little thoughts that are racing around your head because of what you desire. And all of these things have colour. Browns, greys, greens, whatever. And as we train you to become more and more awakened, what do you think is going to happen to you? You start to develop these perceptions. You begin to no longer look at human beings in terms of their forms. You can see these forms in front of us and you can see how they've been changing over the years. But that's not the reality. But that swill, that grunge around your head, what is seen clairvoyantly, there's the reality. And that is what we're training you to be. Clairvoyantly awakened, highly perceptive, Think about it. Now, if you become clairvoyant, are you interested in seeing the thought life of the individual? What they were doing, say, 
half an hour ago or the strongest, most vivid image in their minds? Because, believe me, that's what you'll see. There's no secrets of a person once you've got that vision. You read them like a book. You read their thoughts like a book. You read their images like a book. Whatever is the strongest image that is easy to see. And what is most people's strongest image? Their love life? Um, Their desire life? What is it that is your strongest image that hangs around your head like a, a sword of Damocles? Now you know one reason why hierarchy of long ago taken away the clairvoyant abilities that was natural to the Atlanteans. When they saw this stuff, they used it and abused it. They attacked other people because of what they saw. And they could manipulate people if they understood those desires, what people wanted. Some of you can understand psychology, other people's psychology, and there's a lot of people out there manipulating people because of psychology, because of understanding their subtle desires. It's quite easy to do. And of course the mass media manipulates the masses in a similar sort of way. So you see, in order for you to be clairvoyant, in order for you to gain perceptions, what in Sanskrit is called cities, you actually have to develop more blue. It's all around this energy blue, or the golden energy. More love, more love, more love. Less and less selfish, less and less desirous, more compassionate, and more dispassionate. What you see in other people's minds, you no longer have the ability to use against them, because Everything that is of you is love, pure love. Then you'll only use what you see to help them. And when you're at that particular state, then you can see and develop clairvoyance. And if you're not at that state and you develop clairvoyance, then you become a force of evil then you use what you see to manipulate, to control, to dominate. It's forbidden. It's not on our path. That type of karma we don't want. We don't need more lives of fixing up the manipulation of other people's desire bodies. Because we're going to have to have lives where we are going to be manipulated by others to pay it back. It's quite simple that what you do to others must be done to you. This occult power, this magical power, of course, there's many, many books on elementary magic, especially in the Kabbalistic form, that is all geared to developing these cities so that people can be manipulated. When you go into the history of magic and religion, then you have a history of this. Masses of karma developed by people of occult power over others. Think about such things that most of you are frightened of. Your computer codes, your passwords, your bank numbers, key card numbers, 
all in your mind. Easy to be read by somebody with a little bit of developed perception. And you can understand if the great masses out there or the most intelligent of the masses of this type of power, um, most of them will be tempted to use it in one way or the other. Is that not so? Most of you actually like to have more money, more wealth. And most people don't really care how they get it. You can see that, again, the way to become a black magician is relatively easy. The way to become a member of white hierarchy uh, through our methodology is relatively difficult because you must master your desire body completely. You must control your desire to be rich, your desire um, to have plenty of the good things in life and so forth. Become desireless. Accept to serve humanity. Accept to work with divas. Accept to be a member of hierarchy. And to think like them in every possible way. Love the blue. Develop the ritual that allows the divas to incarnate through you. And then you will see and see, and see, and see, and see much more than you ever anticipated you could see. And they're giving you this vision, piecemeal, are they not? Do you see some things that happen at Chambala? You see some of the things that do with the dragon world? You see some of the great members of hierarchy, the divas, and so forth? some of the UFO people, all trying to show you something of their world, the world of love, the world of compassion. But every one of them, when they look at you, can read your aura like a book. Immediately, instantaneously. And no matter what you're thinking, no matter what your desires are, no matter what you're gurgitating over and over again in your minds, they are compassionately giving to you their love, the teachings you need at that time. And you must learn to emulate that, to become enlightened, to become members of hierarchy. And you can see, when you look at the sum total of your desires, that's the battle, is it not? There's the length of time that's required to transmute that so you become harmless in thought, word and deed. Only there to help the other. That's the only thing that's in your mind. Group consciousness, group love is equable with hierarchical consciousness, hierarchical love. Understand when we're talking about the aura generally, we're talking about the colorings of the astral body. But that's the normal way of looking at the aura. But there's also a colorings around your mind, the colorings of the mental body. Every sheath has its own auric coloring. It can become quite a, a kaleidoscope of, of wonder to see the various radiations from the various planes of perception. As you get into the higher planes, of course, they become more luminescent and subtle and clear 
and vibrant and powerful. The astral body itself is controlled by the solar plexus center, the abdominal brain. And there you have the generation of the auric colors. The solar plexus center itself is the center of self-will, of the I consciousness, of your personality will, of your the power that makes you get out and drive and do things for yourself. It's the power of all of your emotions. I, me, mine. Whenever the emotions speak, it's always self-centered, always focused upon yourself, always comes from this volatile I at the center of the universe. I am the universe, I am the power all around me, and I will take for myself what I want. That's the SP. Always the thoughts in relationship to itself, because it cannot reason out properly. Because it's biased. It's biased in terms of its own desires, its own acquisitiveness. Though there you have the SP. And of course it produces some of this wonderful higher qualities such as emotions, high emotions, aspiration, creative imagination, the types of artwork that people have engendered, some of the aesthetics, uh, the architecture and so forth, science. It's got its driving power as well to produce beautiful things, all coloured according to this aspirational desire body. So there's gross emotions that produce auric colourings that are like the swill that a pig lives in. And then are high aspirational emotions that produce nice golden and pink hues, light blue hues, exhilarating energies. The emotions are intoxicating but they exhilarate and can also debase every which way you go. And most of you have lived in heaven and hell states, created by yourself and yourself only, which often you blame upon others, but it's your emotions, it's your inability to control your life and your emotional body that is the problem, not what others have done to you in order to cause you to be emotional or what you think causes you to be emotional. You attach the concepts of self and therefore you go into a heaven and hell state. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde quality. So, the colours of the aura, the emotional colours, well, red can be very, the energy of anger flashing out of you. The stronger the red, um, normally it's a sort of a type of crimson red and often mingled with a little bit of black of this hatred, there's your anger. And the black of the hatred, of course, is the DB quality par excellence. Selfishness. Grey-green. Depending on the state of the selfishness, so the deeper the grey. The lighter the selfishness, the lighter the green, the lighter the grey. And that is the predominant colouring of the human aura. Grey-green. Mostly that's what you see. One doesn't have to see the aura in order to know that it's there in most human beings. 
virtually the whole body, this energy. Around the hips, Jenny, is the brick red of sensuality. The stronger the sexual expression, the stronger the sensuality. And you can see the bounds of the aura, the bounds of that type of expression, depending on this coloration. So what we're getting to here is that there are certain localities within the aura where the qualities, the colorings are seen, mostly. In this particular book here, Man Visible and Invisible by Leadbeater, um, there's pictures that they have of the aura, such as these plates. Most of you have seen them. All of you can pick up the book. Uh, they're not correct. Here's um, one of strong emotions or devotion of the sort of flashing pink and um, whitish sort of energy um, that sort of comes out. <laughs> but pretty good. it looks nice, and there's one of fear, the same sort of thing, bands of energy. But it's not quite correct, because the, the artist that drew this basically had this uh, blanket type of field around you but in reality the aura comes out of the body and the first quarter of an inch at the most is your health aura or the ethric body and it's Jenny a grey grey violet colouring and then the aura comes and normally you'll only see it two to three inches out of the body if you're very highly clairvoyant you may see it one foot two feet so it's not swirling around you like this though it is in a sense but it's more radiating out of your body not like these pictures around the head always is orange or red orange or golden lemon yellow or very light blue the deeper the orange the more intellectual, the more brownish orange, the duller the consciousness. The more amorphous the energy around the head, the very dull consciousness. The brighter and more vibrant around the head, like the pictures of saints, then you have high spirituality. Eventually, as the being works upon themselves in their spiritual life, the grey-green of adaptability and selfishness gets cleansed and you start to have lovely lemon yellow or blue. Sometimes if there's a violet, for instance, a band of violet going through and around and through the eyes, and you see that, then you know that person's clairvoyant. Around the fingers, on the tips of the fingers, normally is the energy of, well, for instance... The green thumb, you all heard that, gardener. It means that the fingertips are full of green because they're either healers or they work with plants. The scarlet woman, well, we've all gone into this energy before. Scarlet man, the same. Highly sensual. Prostitute or whatever is the, the general connotation. Right? And that's around the hips. So if somebody's a healer, then there will always be green fingertips or violet around the fingertips. So, as one sort of develops clairvoyant perception at this particular level, which is on the astral plane, 
then the aura can be seen like this. And it's not that hard. And as a matter of fact, the seeing of the aura according to detail, and I've got which book, is a function of the eye. A physiological function of the eye, the refinement of the eye. It doesn't even need clairvoyance. And that's the reason why many who have inebriated in drugs, I'm not talking about alcohol, very, very strong acid, acid will do it, and sort of very strong sort of marijuana and mushrooms and those types of where the Atlantean clairvoyance was put into the vegetable kingdom and people reawaken the Atlantean clairvoyance by taking those toxins that are in the vegetable kingdom from that period of time, it reawakens this type of vision. And you can see the aura. If you control the monkey mind chattering which most people get inebriated with, it's a physiological thing in a sense. As I said, you can train the eye to see and it's not that hard. The eye just needs to look at uh, for instance, the hand and slightly away from it on a neutral uh, background. And Jenny, if you don't force and just allow your mind to look at it naturally, the aura will start to appear. And you'll know it when you're looking at the hand because there should be always two bands of colour around the fingertips, thumbs, and then um, below that will be a different colour. That's the easy part in the sense of um, talking about the aura. There's many books on this and uh, many authors have written about how to see the aura. And I'm just giving you uh, a very brief description of it. So what I want to point out is more what it all means to you as disciples, not so much how to see it. Because that will come naturally as you cleanse your chakras, as you develop your perceptions as you start to control your emotions properly and produce a very high refined consciousness, then colours will appear in your mind. And matter of fact, on the whole, you don't need to see the gross aura because you'll get a flash of the person's auric constitution, auric qualities, very quickly. Just an instantaneous flash then you'll know the dullness of that person's consciousness or the vibrancy of that person's consciousness or the general characteristics. You don't even have to worry too much whether they've got the grey-green of selfishness because you can just presume um, 99.9% of people have it. Or sensuality, because again you can presume that 99.9% of people or more have it. These are irrelevant about the state of consciousness, the type of aura around the head. The perceptions or sometimes the thoughts that people may have, that's important. And as you become more refined, you'll see that instantaneously because you're only there to help them. That's, a matter of fact, one of the key qualities of the teacher. The teacher sees the auric quality of the student almost continuously and works with that auric quality as to how to best help. They'll see a reaction to what the teacher may say. Um, They'll see when the DB is 
infiltrating the mind of that individual produces a completely um, different auric um, mind state. They'll see when the student is thinking of something other than what is being talked about, when they're otherwise engrossed in other words, and so forth. The instantaneous perception of where the student is at and what the student is basically thinking about is a necessary prerequisite of the teacher's service work. Without that quality, one can't really teach at this level. And all of you that are passing initiation testings pass your testings also so that you can see so that you can teach and help. You can see the auric quality, you can see the reactions, you can see the mind quality. You know, therefore, what to give. You know, therefore, what also that individual cannot receive because they will react. And you're always watching reactions. As soon as the reaction happens, Jenny, you must stop. It's not always easy to do because sometimes out of compassion you want to drive home a point. You want to drive home a teaching. But the aura of the individual, the aura of the student, has already turned negative and will not receive the added beneficence. Their cup is very small. Now this type of clairvoyance is an essential development, as I said, for all spiritual teachers. And this is another reason why you do ritual, why you meditate, why you pass initiation testings. Another thing to point out with regards to aura is that they're divic substance. All you're really looking at is the quality of the divic life that is coming out of you that you're expressing. This may not mean all that much to some of you, but it's exceedingly important, certainly yogically, certainly for those of you that are becoming occultists, certainly for those of you that are developing temple ritual and wanting to work with the mud of the world and with hierarchy. It's quite important, the type of divic substance that is within your body of manifestation, within your consciousness. And, of course, we've discussed the deeper quality in terms of the coloration. But when we look at the divas, we're not just looking at coloration. We're looking at divas of sickness, divas of health, the divas that guard the particular chakras in the body, the divas that are passing out of your system altogether because they no longer can stay in your body some scars that no longer are needed the anger that you may once have developed when you're younger that is no longer viable in your system they must come out and when they come out they come out to produce sickness or disease at that time they come out with a certain auric frequency a certain grayness your whole body is much lighter than them Therefore, it must make you sick. must weaken you at that particular point. And you must acknowledge that weakness, depending on the chakra. The chakra can be the centre between the shoulder blades, it can be at the knees, it can be at the spleen, it can be through the um, sexual organs, it can be at the throat, it can be through the nose. 
there are many organs of elimination. And it's important to recognize the dullness of the quality of the diva and also the energy that you have to generate, the auric quality in other words, that will help push that divic substance out. The evil that was once the good must come out. And so the streams of divic substance that would keep you enthralled in lower motions, lower sensual states, lower thought states, you've passed that, let them go and push them out. This is all part of your training, part of what you're learning. You're not average individuals, you are disciples. And you're working with divas all the time. This is also for those of you that have partners or those of us that share common or substance. In a group such as this, most of you are quite refined. All of you are quite aware, for instance, if somebody is sick, that you don't get too close to them. You're a little bit frightened of germs. Well, the germs are not the real problem. The germs are an after effect. The real problem is the type of auric substance that is coming out of that individual, the type of diva that is jumping out of that individual. You get too close, then they jump into you. They weaken your auric space, they weaken that particular chakra. And once they are weakened, once that substance is imbued in you, then it lays the foundation for certain physical entities that thrive in that type of swill. And these are called germs. If your aura is vibrant enough, then you'll just simply repel this divic substance. Your aura will not allow it in. But if your aura is not vibrant enough, then the divic substance comes into you, inundates you with that quality. You take it on board, you take on somebody else's substance, and eventually you can catch a sickness. You can be downgraded in consciousness. Now, another problem, and this is a problem for all disciples, is, as I said, in an an environment like this, where there's a whole pile of auric interrelationships, we're all hopefully relatively similarly cleansed. We're all working upon ourselves mostly. But for those that have been working upon themselves for a long time and cleansing the aura and it's becoming more and more radiant, but they still have certain weaknesses. When a new person comes into the group aura, into the group ring pasnot, the group mandala, they bring into them lower auric states, uncleansed auric substance, degenerate divas. For the group as a whole, it's always a crisis. The new people don't understand this. And the whole group manifests as an auric cleansing house. They take on that substance, pass it through their bodies and clean it. And they do it unconsciously and sometimes consciously. And also they're doing it while they're educating that person to refine their consciousness, to control their emotions, to stop the generation of the swill. 
interesting, but that is the process. That is group love. That is group evolution. That is group initiation. So the more advanced disciples within the group often suffer the auric substance of new people. Or people are not working upon themselves appropriately. And often they have to go away into quiet places or to find a quiet zone or a sanctified temple such as this in order to cleanse it and then go back to help. And when we're talking at this level, then we bring in the dark brotherhood. They are that sickness. They are the energy of that swill. And they come and capitalize upon it. They'll pour their substance through the vehicle of that type of quality that's able to carry it into the group aura and you get what we call psychic attack. They pour their substance in and then they send you streams of thoughts to aberrate you, to stop you from functioning, to consume the time of a more advanced member of the group so that they're busy trying to help you rather than doing other forms of service work. And sometimes it's necessary to help because of the karma, because of the love. And sometimes it's important to abstract in order to serve at a higher level. There's many little equations that disciples have to do when it comes to group love, group service that must be taken into account with every new person. And of course, if they're sleeping together, then they imbue auric substance quite strongly. And this is a real problem for the more advanced disciple. They have to eliminate it somehow, some way. And generally they need time to do this. Generally they need space so they can do this. Otherwise they get clogged up, sickened and whole pile of untoward psychic consequences happen and the DB have fun, fun, fun. The service work does not get done. Detachment is the way we manifest our relationships. Detachment and love. A loving detachment. We are not attached, but we love. We attached in the way that we can help each other to serve. We have certain karma that we must cleanse in this way and we cleanse it. But we move on and hopefully move on together. Level after level after level of auric cleansing. Of the cleansing of auric substance. And that's the only way you can travel to high enlightened states. Look at all the pictures of the saints around you in this room. And what do you see? high, purified, radiant aura as you become more and more advanced and your aura becomes cleaner and cleaner you naturally become a healer and believe me, the last thing you want jumping into your substance is unregenerate divas divas of a low quality that will sicken you in one way or the other and there's often a transition state between when a person being cleansing the substance but has not yet fully mastered the cleansing process to when a person's aura is so radiant the substance cannot enter 
there's an impenetrable wall of divas of a very high order of little swords and they send that substance away and if that is the case what happens is that the substance, negative substance of the disciple hits for instance the master's aura bounces off the master's aura and guess where it goes to with renewed energy back into the disciple this is one reason why often masters have to be abstracted from their students they live isolatedly more often than not because of the danger of the master's aura to the student because the student's aura is too weak very weak when they are emotionally involved when they are involved in the world and the master's aura is so strong that it immediately produces an attack upon the student it's a very difficult process to live by but it's something that all of you have to understand it's just simply a process of energetics is it not it's physics the intense form of energy will rebuff that which is quite lethargic in relationship to it will not absorb it and it gives that lethargic state of energy more energy the other thing to point out with regards to a more intense aura such as the aura of these Christ figures is that the intensity of the energy that comes from makes quickness of thought, quickness of motion and at the same time within the consciousness is quietude and emptiness of mind you cannot have quickness of thought, quickness of motion and high radiant energy if there's all sorts of gurgitations of emotions going on that's weakness only when there's emptiness is there an intensity that's also for instance in my case one reason why I've had to be abstracted from you as a whole for quite a bit and must continue to be abstracted because too much auric interrelationship with me for instance except for those that have been trained and prepared for it over time they've been working upon themselves produces problems it throws substance back into you and produces then inevitable conflict one of the things when when we're going to the aura another thing to point out and it again has to do with this energy field energy body is that for most of you you're transiting from the aura of your emotional body governed by your solar plexus to the aura of the heart which brings in the energies and very strong energies from either the hierarchy or from the soul your own soul now this type of energy field is that of the abstract mind and this type of energy field for instance of the soul is from the collective pool of the sum of all of your past lives plus all the samskaras going to the future as it exists on the higher domain of the mind or the kingdom of the souls which also in Buddhism is called Alaya Vijnana and that whirlpool of energy of quite intense energy comes into your consciousness in this case by your heart and starts to replace 
the swirling swirls of energy or walls of energy that are of your emotions. So it battles your emotions. First of all, it starts to transmute the gross emotions to produce more and more subtle and loving emotions. Aspirations, creative imagination, your artistic vision. But later on, these loving emotions become sublimated and you have to die to the emotions altogether to produce the consciousness of the heart. Cold, clear, loving reason. It's cold, it's clear, no emotions. And it's vast, all-knowing perception. This is the energy of the, the blue that is, was spoken of earlier. This is the energy that you're trying to bring into consciousness as you work for your third initiation, as you become enlightened. Some of you are working also for your fourth initiation later, intrinsically fourth, fifth or sixth degree initiates. Initiates of the highest order on this planet What has brought into the aura then, what is power that starts to manifest is that of the monad, that of the spirit, that which is of cosmos itself. The soul itself cannot withhold this energy and form without it undergoing a supernovia explosion on its own realm. Think of the energy of an atomic explosion. Something like that. And holding that energy in consciousness. That is the energy of the monad. And keeping it in consciousness. And consciousness itself becomes... Well, it's destroyed. It's a cosmic identification. And it produces a radiance that is the light of the world. This is difficult for you to explain, but within this concept is the doctrine of the avatar. The doctrine of what a Jesus was or what a Buddha is. And the world itself can only withstand one such being generally at any time, in any epoch, incarnate. Because of its potency. So you can see that the concept of aura is much more than what most of you have thought. It's the development of pure radiance. You cannot develop this type of radiance through the suppression of your aura, through suppression, using the will to suppress your emotions. The emotions have to be transmuted. They have to be worked through. They have to be refined. And it's a conscious process of discipleship. Suppression will produce explosions later on and some real psychic disasters. Therefore, what we're talking about, as we go from your emotional aura to the aura of your mind, which is the aura eventually of the soul, to monadic perception, is the ability to channel the energy of the will. More and more you learn the relationship of the will to love, of the will and love. 
first you develop goodwill. And as you develop goodwill, the loving intent to help your fellow beings on this planet, then you're refining your emotional aura. Later, you're working at the developing of the will to good. It is the will to do good in everything you do. And this is actually a process that must go on in the life of the disciple. The will to good is the basis for the attainment of the first three initiations. The will to good necessitates working with a group of disciples such as this. To do good within them, to do good on this planet, to serve the all. This then brings in the energy of the soul properly and begins to anchor in consciousness something of what I call monadic perception. When you actually can develop monadic perception and sometimes via the soul, then you generate the will of love. It's the love's will itself. It's a driving forward, it's a driving force that makes you conquer all problems, all aspects of the personality because of love. Sacrificial love. There's nothing else. And this energy of the will of love in Buddhism is called bodhicitta, the mind of enlightenment. And it opens up the gates to Shambhala, it opens up the gates of the monad itself and to the death of the form that is the soul to produce the state that in Buddhism is called sunyata, the void. The void is pure energy beyond consciousness. And then the next step is to demonstrate divine will. What in Christianity is called God's will. Then you are a sixth degree initiate and you are purely monadic. And the aura that's of you and from you is of astounding penetrative radiance. And then this brings in, of course, the Logoic Keynote. From then onwards, the High Kohan, the High Initiate, is developing the perceptions and purpose of a Logo, of developing a ring past night within cosmic space. And the radiance of the aura is his going to use the term credit card, cosmic credit card, the note whereby every being in cosmos recognizes A, the point of development, B, the quality of mind with a capital M that that being has developed. The associated service work in cosmos whereby or where to that being is going. Remember also that Deva's hair auras and grubby auras to them would be what would be a very dissonant sound to you. If you can think of a racket, there's your grubby aura and that's what the Deva's hear (laughs) Um, when they see 
murky qualities coming out of human beings. And only human beings can produce this murky quality. Darkness, the DB. So I feel quite sorry for the Debas having to deal with rackets, noise from human units when they're looking down. But that is the way it is for them. And they're compassionate. And the elimination of these discordant sounds over time, the discordant clashing sounds, cleansed by music. You think of the beauty of the music that is the radiance of your heart, the radiance of your service work. For them, it's a harmonious colour display, a joy to behold. And, therefore, what we're looking at is mantric sound, resonating sound of power. And where does the sound come from in quietude, in the stillness of your heart, in the stillness of your meditation mind? It produces the most glorious sound for the divas. So, in stillness, you do your ritual. In the quietude of mind, you ring the bell. Anyway, that, on the whole, is the teaching of the aura. From that, then, comes the cleansing of the astral plane. How do we cleanse the astral plane? Through the harmony of sound. Isn't that wonderful? The cleansing sound of your ritualistic mind. The mind cleanses the astral, not the grubby mind that's self-focused, but the mind that is full of love. It's the heart's mind. And that then cleanses with its sound and the associated colour all of those grubby emotional colourings until there's nothing left of that. You have the higher radiant aura instead such as you see on these pictures of the saints and the, and the tankas of the Buddhist deities. And that is my wish for all of you to see that in all of you, that type of aura, that type of radiance, and that would be joyous, would it not? Imagine yourself walking around with this auric sphere of pure radiance, of pure radiant love. Your mind enclosed in the sphere of radiance depending on your colouring if it's primarily compassionate it would be green if it's primarily pure love it would be blue if it's primarily focused upon altruistic mind mental service it would be um, the most beautiful golden yellow and so forth and then um, similar aura for your body of manifestation Wonderful to see. And you can think of the exquisite colourings, the radiant pink of pure devotion and so forth, the colourings of the seven rays and the, and the sub-rays. So from the gross emotionality of your day-to-day emotional perturbances to the radiance of a saint, that's the way you are walking. And it takes time, yes. And it's harder while we're living amongst other human beings 
that keep on forgetting what it is that they're on this earth to achieve. And we have to pick each other up to help achieve that. And we do that not so much by thinking of our own auras, by thinking of the group aura and developing the group mandala, developing the group aura to produce the group radiance. And that then is the sum of all the individual radiances. The sound, therefore, becomes an impenetrable fortress that will not allow any dark brotherhood in. The mind or the energies, they are defeated. And it happens as we spiral up one after the other to greater and greater heights of auric brilliance. You cannot, the dark brotherhood cannot affect you if there's nothing in you that they can affect. <laughs> when the penetrative sound of your aura attacks them immediately, think about it. Your mere presence is a danger to them, they must go, must run, stand at a great distance, because it transforms their substance. And that brings again back to the old problem, as I said before, of a master's or with regards to the student, because the student represents aspects of the dark brotherhood, and the master's aura is so strong that it attacks the dark brotherhood within the student. And therefore, you have often the clashes that the students have or misunderstandings of the student with the master because they don't understand why they're being hit with a blast of intense energy.